Welcome to Final Games, a podcast about the games that inspired us. This is the fourth episode. We're four episodes in already. <laughs> Thanks to everyone who has listened so far. For those of you who may be joining us for the first time, to quickly recap, Final Games is a podcast where my guest is trapped in a deserted place where they can't leave. In this deserted place, there happens to be eight games for them to play for the rest of their lives. Eight games that they can choose themselves. What are the games they choose and why? My guest today, I'm actually rather intimidated by, as he's known as one of the best interviewers in the industry. I fear interviewing today will expose me for the rank amateur I actually am. He's not only one of Britain's most respected video game writers, but the industries as a whole. He's written for an exceptional amount of publications, including some of the most well-respected and revered publications in the world. Since he began in 2003, after studying at King's College London, he's gone on to write for top video game media outlets such as Kotaku, Eurogamer, and Edge magazine, but also well-established tabloid publications such as The Guardian, The New Yorker, The New Statesman, The New York Times, and he runs a monthly column in The Observer. He's written exceptional pieces about some of video gaming's most respected personalities, including Street Fighter producer Yoshinoru Ono, Soul series director Hidetaka Miyazaki, <laughs> Metal Gear creator Hideo Kojima, and Mr. Nintendo himself Shigeru Miyamoto as well as a myriad of other creators, developers, and personalities. Most recently, he picked the brain of The Witness creator Jonathan Blow, but he's not just limited to video games, though, having written about spies, the CD underbelly of the internet, and even killer AI, among a whole host of other subjects. He's even tried his hand at game design, too. And, if all this wasn't impressive enough, he's even released a book, Death by Video Games is a deep look into video game obsession with my guest investigating into the gamers who risk their health and even their lives to play video games. He is the award-winning journalist journalist, Mr. Simon Parkin. Ohio gozaimasu, Simon-san. <laughs> my gosh, I feel exhausted. Wow. <laughs> Every, everyone says that about the introduction, unfortunately. I don't know whether I should change it. <laughs> no, I mean, it's not unpleasant, but it's, uh, uh, yeah... <laughs> no, I don't feel like that feels like a lot to live up to now oh well well these are all the things you've done yourself so you've already lived up to them really <laughs> <laughs> how are you today how are you doing I'm pretty good I am sitting in my kitchen uh, I live on the south coast of England uh, near Brighton I have a puppy called Barney who is just turned one and he's sitting on my lap so um, <laughs> if you hear any barking Oh, hey, oh sorry, a little man. bit on hold. <laughs> sorry, I, no. Sorry, I just had a phone call coming. I can't put it on. Um, I can't. I can't put it on airplane mode because then I wouldn't be able to speak to you. So, sorry. <laughs> no problem. No problem. I thought Barney had turned something off then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, it's absolutely amazing to have you on the show. As thank you for having me. Is, oh, absolutely, my pleasure. As, as someone who has read your work for. God, going on forever now, without even realizing it most of the time, you have been, you are in and out and just integrally worked into British video game journalism and everything. And people will definitely have read your work without even realizing it was yours, I think. That's how integrated well, you are. So. Yeah, it's, it's important, I think, for, the, for a writer to have a reader. That always helps. So. Yeah. <laughs> so I think uh, the first. Uh, question I think is the most obvious question um, how did you start writing about video games was it from a love of video games prior or was it something that you just accidentally started 
Um, it wasn't an accident. I was definitely very much into video games uh, as a as a young person, <laughs> as, okay. many, as most young people are these days. Yeah, um, even more so now. <laughs> right? Yeah, probably even more so now. I mean, w- how it came about was I was in my final year of university in London. And I was uh, thinking about what I was going to do next. And at the time, I was really into collecting uh, records, um, as in, you know, vinyl records. And there was a publication over here called uh, Record Collector, um, which kind of had articles about um, famous albums and the making of them. But it also had listings for the values of different, you know, first pressings of rare records. And it was this real, like, Bible for if you were into collecting um, records then it's what you referred to for how much you should be paying for stuff and you know what was interesting and all of that and you know as alongside of that I was collecting video games as well I um, just was super into trying to track down rare and you know sought after um, Super Nintendo games and yeah. you know even even further back than that and I, I was kind of growing a collection I was really into this but there was no real resource for people who wanted to know know about these older games yeah um, you know in the uk we have retro gamer magazine these days which definitely caters to people who are yeah. who are into older games but yeah, there's nothing like that is superb i really do yeah like it's that. really good um but at the time there was nothing really like that we had game faqs was around at the time so yeah well had... this was when the internet was very baby yeah, it was probably, I guess, like around 2000, something like that. Yeah, so, so Game FAQs know, was kind of the only real video game website where you could really get any Yeah, it was one of the few resources for yeah. that would give you, you know, details on, on games and dates and things yeah. like that. So anyway, I wrote to Future Publishing, which is a magazine publisher here in, in the UK. They publish Edge magazine, which I'm sure, you know, many of your listeners will know. Yeah. And I wrote to one of the publishers there and said, I've got an idea for a magazine. It's basically a video game version of Record Collector. Can I come and tell you about it? And um, they wrote back amazingly and said, yes, why don't you come to Bath where they're headquartered and give us a presentation so I drove down there. I didn't like have a PowerPoint or anything like that. I just, wow. sat, in, <laughs> I just sat in the room with the guy and told him my idea and you know why I thought it would be a cool idea for a magazine. And he listened patiently and um, nodded and at the end of it said, well, that sounds great. Um, and then he explained to me how much it costs to launch a magazine, and, <laughs> you know, the amount of money that's required even just to get your magazine on, you know, into the local news agents. Yes. So, and he said, you know, well, while, it, while I think it's a good idea, I'm not sure if we would be able to put up the money for, for that. But why don't you speak to the editor at Edge magazine about maybe running a monthly series of features, um, you know, in which you talk about rare games for different systems. Um, and so I did that. That's for the next year. I think pretty much every month I wrote a, um, a feature on a different um, older game system and uh, wrote about the the most desirable games and their kind of values and things like that wow and that was really my way in and from there i started a you know early freelance career really and started taking on reviews for magazines and websites and um and it grew from there did edgev ask you to come on board and be part of the staff because of the column um yeah in fact right at the start um they 
invited me to go for um, an interview there for a job. Okay. But I was, I had just, um, I just moved house out, out of London and it was getting settled. And so I, I really didn't want to, you know, uproot and go all the way down to Bath. And, you know, lots of times I thought, oh, have I made a terrible mis- you know, mistake not doing that? But, um, you know, I think... Obviously not. <laughs> well, uh, no, I'm not saying that, but, uh, you know, it, it just is what it is and you i, I think yeah. if you want to if you want to be a writer then you, you find a way and you know, even if you're not going to go and take on a staff writer job full time yeah. and you know for me being a freelancer suits my temperament and um you know i quite enjoy working alone i definitely enjoy you know working for a range of different publications so so it was right for me um basically do you remember what your first game for the column was what was the first game you chose that is a good question. Um, I, I, do you know, I don't remember. It might have been the Super Nintendo. Probably a um, Super Nintendo game. Well, the, no, the way it worked was it was a, it was a system. So oh, it was a system. Was, oh, okay. Uh, but then, so yeah, basically the article talked about the history of the system, where it came from. Yeah. And then like the second half was about the collectible games for it. So oh, I guess fantastic. for like Super Famicom, it would have been, you know, the RPGs, Terra Enigma, yeah. Chrono Trigger, those kind of things. Yeah. Did you talk yeah. about imports there at all? <laughs> yeah so it was it wasn't region specific at all it was just ah, okay yeah because we didn't most... get games like earthbound or chrono trigger did we in the eu no we, no we didn't in fact no i do remember the first one was the neo geo AES. oh the neo geo um, yeah because that i mean you know that is really emblematic of the most collectible video game systems yeah. around and you know for that the most expensive the rare well. games come from come from all around the world so you've got in the european version of casino encounter of which there's only a handful of copies in existence uh, is incredibly collectible and then you yeah. know the american version of mark of the walls and yeah so yeah this has got quite geeky but i like it yeah that sounds <laughs> awesome so was it like from your own personal collection or did some of them yeah edge be like hey here's some money go find some collectors go buy some stuff there was definitely like an element of that. I, I had to go and find the, you know, the the top tier collectors for each of these systems. Yeah. In fact, I remember I interviewed a guy who was the world's, you know, leading collector of Neo Geo Pocket games. And he had every single game, I think, wow. on Neo Geo Pocket I actually, on, in, in every every region. When I was in university, actually, we I went to the University of Aberystwyth and there was this really yep. small, uh, I wouldn't say crappy but definitely run down video game shop that had like really bad ps2 games but they had quite the neo geo pocket collection and i was like this is it this is what i'm going to start this will be my first console that i try and get as many games for as i could and it was kind of the first actual system that i started uh, collecting for yeah, um, but they had those beautiful clamshell cases yeah. in, the UK, in Europe, didn't they? Yeah. That they didn't get in Japan or America. No. They just had cardboard ones. And so I think that it's a rare case where the yeah. European versions are the most collectible. It was such system. a wonderful little console because of the uh, like the eight way eight gateway uh, analog stick it had, and it right. played really well. Yes. Um, yeah, it was just beautiful, wasn't it? And it was the, like um, holding a Dreamcast controller with a big screen in the middle of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. It was a and good little console. And, yeah, yeah it's really fantastic. Games. The backlight. And, um, well, it didn't sorry. have a backlight, but it was it was difficult to see the screen sometimes, even more so than the Game Boy or an equivalent yeah. of the time. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
yeah the beautiful systems <laughs> so yeah i had to kind of find the people that were that were you know really really into it i think um, it's coming back to me now actually doing that first neo geo one yeah the, computer exchange the you know which anyone who comes from the uk will know is a you know a bit like yeah. game GameStop or it's yeah. a second hand you know, yeah. Uh, yeah cex over here they had a retro store for a while in really? central london God, yeah they don't it, it's long long gone but it was amazing and we went we went there with the photographer from edge because they had they had loads of new geo games there um so we were able to get lots of photographs because you know they were seriously expensive some of them yeah near geo anything is notorious especially when you get towards the console range of things it's notoriously expensive right yeah exactly so um yeah it was it was it was good fun that sounds awesome that sounds like a really good column actually (laughs) sounds really good yeah okay well you're definitely known for your interviews especially from my point of view, most of the most known pieces I think I've read of your work is like the interview you did with like Diego Umehara, the Street Fighter player. Um, Daigo, yeah. Yeah, Daigo, sorry. I don't know why I said Diego. (laughs) (laughs) I I live in Japan. I don't know why I said that. (laughs) Uh, You uh, spoke with Yoshinora Ono, especially that was not long after he'd been in hospital as well wasn't it yeah so the, that that interview caused lots of lots of trouble yeah i can imagine <laughs> um, i can imagine it did but, yeah <laughs> i remember was, that he, i remember yeah. that interview very clearly reading it and being like oh oh no yeah i've met ono as well yeah i've met ono as well he's an absolutely amazing person yeah he's really fun but yeah. i mean for for people Yes. I don't know the story. He had, it was, um, it was sometime after Street Fighter Four, and he was clearly just burnt out. He spent yeah. a lot of his time just touring the world, promo, pro, doing promotion for the game, and uh, he actually collapsed in his house in Tokyo and had to be taken to the hospital, and um, just through overwork. And yeah. um, I went to a Capcom event in Italy, I think, in Rome, and he he showed up, and we didn't know that he was coming, but he just he just showed up. And, we saw him walking around and I managed to convince him to sit down with me. And he was obviously just really, um, mad at Capcom, I oh, guess. At, I can at, imagine. Um, at, at how hard he'd been working. And I don't know. Yeah. He's, he's such a cheery guy. If you follow him on Twitter, or he is, seen, he's, he's, he's uh, an incredible um, person. Yeah. His he, energy he wasn't really... is almost unlimited. It would seem, but Obviously yeah not, but... until this point yeah. yeah um but he yeah he was it was quite a different tone when i sat down with him he wow. was he was just obviously frustrated and wanted yeah. to um i don't know he obviously wanted to like lash out at catcom yeah. in some way things are obviously okay now he's working on street fighter 5 and is touring it and all of that so i guess it's all water under the bridge now but for a little while from what i heard things were difficult yeah, yeah i can i can that. i can imagine it with knowing a bit more about japanese culture especially japanese company culture and the way employees get treated and all that kind of thing mm. it's very mm, company don't care <laughs> yeah right it doesn't yeah. matter I mean, as, he... as we saw with kojima and konami last year it, yeah it just really doesn't matter who i mean you they're are. all you know 
I would say that Kojima and Onono, they're both very senior. They're both, both very experienced. Yeah. If they sit down to talk to a Western journalist like me, they know exactly what they're doing. So yeah. they're, you know, they're not blundering into this with their eyes shut. You know, it's for, yeah. so, um, so I imagine, you know, they had their reasons for wanting to, to, to talk to me at the time. So yeah. they did. Yeah. So let me ask you about your interviews then. Um, Obviously, with Ono, you sort of just grabbed him. But how is it when you know you're going to be interviewing someone like Kojima or like Miyamoto? How do you? How, what's your process? What do you do to prepare for something like that? Is it is it different for every person, or do you have a Simon Parking way of doing things that you? This is how I do it. This is. I mean, it doesn't matter who it is. I'm going to do it for every single person, no matter how senior or how low they are. <laughs> I guess it, it depends on the kind of piece that, that you're, you're wanting to get out of it. If okay. it's trying to tell someone's story, I think the ones that I really enjoy doing it are just finding out about who a person is and where they come, where they where, where they come from, and what has made them the, the people that they are today. And so to do that, I will generally have a have like a general idea of um, of their background from yeah. whatever information is out there, um, and I might might sketch down a few questions but i try not to these days i try not to take questions in with me i'll have like a start point and maybe somewhere where i want to end up but then just try and have a proper conversation because the pro the problem is when i guess when i was a, a less experienced interviewer if you go in and you've got your 10 questions you are thinking about your next question while you're listening. replying to your previous one yeah. and you're not listening properly and yeah. it's not a conversation and then you and you miss stuff and you don't you fail to follow up or to press on certain issues so yeah. so the more that i think you can turn it into a conversation the more life comes into the piece okay. and the more but the more it feels personal yeah and um, but it you know that sometimes also depends on on the interviewee and where they're at and you know how much pressure they're getting from the the you know people that they're representing and what their motivation is for talking to you if, if they you know particularly if you're speaking to people within the studio system who are promoting a big game um they they've been media trained they have a very specific message that they want to talk about they might only want to chat about the game in question yeah, because I remember your I remember about. your um, Miyamoto interview, and you kept referring that Miyamoto just kept trying to talk about the uh, app he'd made for the 3DS for the Lurv, um, right? And, and yes, you kept yeah. saying every time he gets an opportunity, he just goes back to trying yeah, to crow, promote crow the app. It <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the Japanese are particularly good at that. So. Yeah. But um, yeah, and that can be that can be frustrating. But if you get into that situation, you just have to. You know, I, I think if you're ultimately interviewing someone while they're on a press tour for a particular game or product, then, you know, you have a certain awareness of the kind of answers yeah. an interview you're going to get. You're it's going to be rinse and repeat stuff they've said write. previously. Yeah, and you're not going to be able to, you probably don't have the time. Oh, you know, it might okay. be It might be a 20-minute interview slot that you have and there are 10 yeah. other journalists waiting. Or worse still, you might be in with four or five other journalists and you have to take turns answering oh, questions which is okay. really the worst possible situation to be in and, yeah. um, and those kind of you know the kind of pieces that you get out of that stuff are, are normally is normally weaker you know than if you have a proper hour you're the only journalist that they're talking to that day or, or that yeah. month um, okay you know so, do you, do you, yeah, you have a little bit of leeway uh people are like oh simon parkin is coming let's 
We know. Don't Simon. know. It, I don't let's know. Give, let's give Simon. <laughs> but maybe with some places. Um, uh, to be honest, it's more probably about the publication that you're doing. Ah, uh, okay. Than, than so Eurogamer me. Kotaku asks that kind of thing. Yeah, it just depends, like how where they want to get their story. If they if they are very eager to get it on one of the large specialist sites, then then you might you might you know get preferential treatment. If if they are not interested in the specialist thing, they want to get something in the national press. They want to get something in print at the Guardian. Then it's you know you have more of a bargaining tool in terms of access. I guess. Yeah. yeah. What What do you think is better for game? publishers or game developers to get their story in like a a tabloid paper or or a tabloid's website in comparison to like a place like Eurogamer or Kotaku which is obviously more specialized but the the readership is a lot lower um well probably not a a if by tabloid you mean things like the sun or the no i I meant sorry i meant like a more traditional Um, newspaper format right i mean it it, i think for a lot of them they they want a spread they want um you know it's very important to be talking to uh you know video video game fans and people that are going to buy the games yeah um so that you know that's obviously a priority but also it's very helpful to have you know, lots of particularly when you get to people like Miyamoto and Kojima, they want the um, prestige of being covered by the national uh, or international yeah. press, I would say. Yeah. Um, and so certainly for someone like Kojima right now, um, the place he's in where is I think he wants to be talking to like prestige media more than, uh, you know, your IGNs and, yeah. and all of that. Um, he, he wants his world tour with Mark Cerny to be front page <laughs> guardian. <laughs> Well, yeah, because I guess they, you know, I don't know, I'm putting words in his mouth, but, but you know, from talking to him a few times, and you can kind of see that I think he wants to be considered in the same, um, you know, sphere as J.J. Abrams and Spielberg yeah. and these, like, these these household names and there there aren't that many of those in in the video game industry like no. nobody knows who mark cerny is right no <laughs> like he's just he's an engineer at, at sony and um you know people will probably know miyamoto and yeah. um and that, that's maybe it like it in, does in a feel lot of like with perhaps kojima, kojima these days so. yeah it does feel like with kojima yeah. he feels like he's got a little bit of a stigma behind him and he feels like he's doing his best to try and break through. He's, I'm a creator, I'm a visionary, I watch films every day, I I am this more, I am more than just the video game person that you see. He he seems like he's always constantly trying to portray that person. Like, I'm not bigger yeah. than the video game industry, but I'm on the level of, say, J.J. Abrams, in terms of creative worldwide influence i think that's what i think that's what he's going for i think he he's ambitious in terms of um the not celebrity but ambitious in terms of you know the way that that he's seen you know by maybe by history in terms of this creative industry so um yeah and i i think you know to answer the question you know video game the video game medium has advanced a lot in the last decade in terms yeah. of the esteem with which it's viewed you know more generally in the world and yeah. part of that is just time right everyone Absolutely. everyone under the age of 40 grew up playing video games so it's no longer this alien thing that it maybe was 20 years ago where you know all of the editors at newspapers or you know at tv channels just you know 
didn't really respect or care about video games very much yeah. that's that's absolutely changing and um so yeah i, I think in in many cases for it, sony for example has has two pr and marketing departments one that just deals with the specialist press um you know ign GameSpot, you're a game of those guys okay. and and another entirely separate team that only deals with the mainstream press and um and that that's true of a lot of the bigger uh, game publishers so that that kind of gives you a good indication of, of how both both avenues okay. are important there are so many questions i want to ask you about what you just said did what you do fascinates me and the people you get to speak to fascinate me as well so it's such a pleasure to sort of talk about this but one of the one questions i wanted to ask you personally and you've probably been asked this before obviously um but what was your most memorable interview and why because you you get to speak to such you basically have got spoke speak to the who's who of the entire industry and with gaming becoming more and more especially with like esports and all these different things like video game personalities and now celebrities they 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 have hundreds of thousands of followers on twitter they they are big voices for a whole host of people around the world so you get to speak to these people uh, quite often but what personally for you was your most memorable interview or who was the most enjoyable to speak to well okay so fairly early on in my career i um had a chance to go to japan and um it was square enix the the publisher of the final fantasy series and, yeah. and other ones had um was was doing i think it was called the square enix party which was like a big um it was kind of like their own version of the tokyo game show just for their own games so it was in makahuri mess which is the the massive hall where the tgs is held every year but it was yeah. only square enix stuff um and so it was fun to go there and then we had an opportunity in the evening to interview tetsuya uh, nomura who is the he is the the character designer who designed uh, Cloud and Eris and yeah. Sephiroth, all the characters from um, all the characters from Final Fantasy VII, and then more recently Kingdom Hearts, and he's done a bunch of other. Uh, you know, he's he's now a director there. Yeah, and we were warned that he is quite. Um, he was uh, uh, could be temperamental, and he could be late, and um, okay. <laughs> all of these things. And he'd actually <laughs> said uh, we were told um, that an American journalist had had asked him a question a few months earlier during an interview and Nomura said um replied to him I'm I'm not gonna answer that question. It's a, that's a dumb question. I'm not gonna answer <laughs> it. Um and the interview's over. So we were told all this stuff and um so I was quite nervous and then he showed up like two hours late oh. and he came in like in a in a black Mickey Mouse cap pulled over his eyes and smoking and just sat down like like slouched in his chair and you know surveyed us all belligerently and um <laughs> that was fairly it was just intense I mean I think nowadays I, I just you know I wouldn't really be impressed by yeah by it's that not very professional thing. but um <laughs> at the time it was no but it was kind of it was kind of all right and rock starry and yeah uh, it's weird because in japan they have they have a nickname for that kind of persona and you see a lot of people in japan who do adopt that persona because it's kind of bad boyish and it goes completely against like the conservative idea of japanese people they actually yeah. they, they call them the yankees <laughs> right okay. yeah that's actually the nickname for people who give off this sort of i don't give a 
shit attitude right. and smoking and all this kind of stuff. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. So that was that was his uh, that was his deal. Um, but um, yeah, no, it was just mem- it was one of those memorable ones, and uh, and in the end he was fine. He answered loads of questions, and um, it was all good. But the, but his game wasn't fine. This was when he was working on Final Fantasy Versus Thirteen, uh, which is the game that was in development wow. hell, and um, yeah. and has now been resurrected as Final Fantasy Fifteen, yeah. <laughs> which we're still waiting on a release date for <laughs> ten are. years later. I remember seeing yeah, the first screenshot soon, of Versus soon. 13 and being like, oh my God, that looks amazing. And now we're 10 years yeah. down the line. and Wow. Yeah, that's incredible. That's a, that's a really good story. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, as I could ask you questions all day, I think it's very appropriate that we move on to your next game. Otherwise, we're going to be here forever. <laughs> I know you're a very busy man. <laughs> so we're going to move on to your first game. Um, so we're going to listen to some <laughs> very iconic and classical music from this series. Okay, Simon. So your first game on your list on your island is a game you could play. You could play forever. It's Tetris, originally released right. in 1984. Uh, while uh, Alexey, I can't say his name, Pajitnov. Yeah, I always wondered how you said it. I struggled with Russian very badly. <laughs> he developed the game while he was working at a computer center in Moscow. Um, and it's been released, you know, for every platform under the sun. But it really wasn't until the NES version and then the Nintendo licensing that created the Game Boy version that the game truly became a commercial hit. And today it has sold in its various incarnations over 170 million copies worldwide. So, Simon, please tell me about your love of Tetris and why it belongs on your list. So it's it's just the most obvious and boring choice, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's the game that you know loads of people would would probably choose. Um, yeah, for good reason. It's um, you know it's it's perfect in in lots of ways, and it's a game that you could happily play uh, for you know throughout your life. I think and, and not yeah. tire of it. For me, um, it's special because it was it was the first. Um, it was yeah about the first real just pure video game. Um, system that I that I got to play was the Game Boy. So I did okay. have an Atari XE prior to that, um, which was uh, which was a home computer. Um, it was like the the baby brother of the Atari ST, um, and I had games on that. But it always felt like this is you know a computer for doing serious things on, and you yeah. can also play games. 
And when my grandmother bought me a Game Boy with a copy of Tetris, it was, no, this is just a thing to play games on. And, <laughs> and here is Tetris. And, um, and I remember just being so excited for it. Uh, there were a couple of other kids in my class at school that, that had a Game Boy and had Tetris, and we would play it um, in the lunch break and that kind of thing. And, yeah. and I wanted it so badly, and I had to convince uh, my, uh, my parents to allow me to up for christmas and, and eventually they relented and um yeah that's uh, that kind of started, started are you are you good at tetris how many people have are you are you good at um, tetris sure I, <laughs> I think so i haven't played it i haven't played it for a while actually um but yeah i, I could definitely i think something happens when you get to 100 lines doesn't it like the rocket takes off the soviet rocket or something like that i think um, in the old I, game boy version yeah yeah, so it's the game. It's specifically the Game Boy version that, yeah. that I want. Okay, uh, so you, yeah. uh, okay. <laughs> just because of the like, it, you know, the feel of the Game Boy in your hands is yeah. really chunky, beautiful. The speaker, the Game Boy speaker, then, playing that wonderful Soviet-inspired yeah. tune. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, so yeah, and I think as well, like wherever, wherever. Um, deserted you know game boy is pretty resilient it's gonna it's gonna survive whatever <laughs> yeah. whatever weather comes yeah. comes our way there is, um, there is that infamous picture of that game boy that was held onto by a, a u.s marine who was yes in an ied explosion i think and the game boy case is melted yeah. it's like molten lava that had poured all over it but the screen and the buttons and everything and it still turned on yeah it's so still worse. that's yeah, a good yeah. choice that's a good choice so, yeah, so. Uh, what? So going back to your begging your parents for Tetris, had mm. you seen like was it just kids playing it and they get like let you have a go and you were like oh my god this game? Um, what was what game what games did you have at the time that weren't really enticing you more than Tetris? Because Tetris by then must have already been like a household name. So I'm wondering why you didn't get it with the Game Boy already. I I thought it came boxed well, in no, originally. Yeah, no, it did. Sorry, so I got for that Christmas a Game Boy. Ah, Tetris yes. Packing. Sorry, I, sorry, I, sorry. I still remember okay. the box. Yeah, um, and yeah, and then there was some. I had some classic games for for my Game Boy. I had Gargoyles Quest, which is a Capcom game. Which yeah, was hard as nails. But is that the one with Firebrand? Super Mario. Uh, is that? Uh, I'm not sure. I can't. I think really it's. Remember. I think it's the Ghost in Goblins. I, uh, like is it spiritual successor or sequel. I think it features Firebrand. Well, Right, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. It's yeah, that's a good game. Hard as nails, totally. as you said. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was good. And I had um, had the Zelda game, which was um, not a link to the past. It was oh, what was it? Everyone's screaming now. Link's Awakening. Yeah, uh, where you where Link wakes up on the beach and then you have yeah. to explore. And that was my first Zelda game as well. And I think oh, really? any person's first Zelda game is always you know that always has a special place in their heart. Yeah. Is it your favourite? That's certainly true for that game. Um, I mean, yes, but for probably for nostalgic reasons, because okay. I didn't have I didn't have any guides or anything like that. And I remember playing it over a summer and and being stuck and really having to, you know, that thing where you go to sleep on a problem and then wake up and you kind of have a solution that you want to try. Yeah, there was a lot of that going on. Okay, um, that <laughs> kind of 
yeah so so yeah that was that was another another of those those that era of games that, that was very special fantastic okay well i think uh tetris i think is a very obvious choice for a lot of people um previous yeah. guests on the show have, have spoken to me beforehand and they're like oh, i really wanted to put tetris on this but i felt like it was the obvious answer and i thought <laughs> yeah, people would hate answer, me for yeah. picking tetris <laughs> <laughs> so well, that's people hate me anyway so it's fine <laughs> don't say that don't say that <laughs> they don't need to know <laughs> okay so i think we're going to move on to your next game which for me is a lot more interesting because i really didn't play it until mm, quite recently even though it's been around for a long time okay so we're going to listen to some music Okay, Simon, so your second game uh, for your deserted island or wherever your deserted place may be, you may be yeah. interviewing someone in space in the future and you might get trapped. You could be anywhere. <laughs> so your second I game hope is... it's not with Nomura. <laughs> Just smoke-filled capsule <laughs> and him not talking to you ever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so your second game is Gunstar Heroes. It's a run-and-gun shooter developed by Treasure and published by Sega. It was originally released in Japan in September of 1993. Uh, it came to the European uh, shores like a month later. It was originally released uh, for the Mega Drive slash Genesis if you're living in the US. But since then, it's had numerous re-releases for platforms like the PS2 in a collection, uh, the Wii, which is the version I played. And most recently, it was part of the Sega 3D Classics that's been released on the 3D eShop, which has been receiving a lot of praise. It's a side-scrolling shooter where you can use like four weapons. Uh, you can also use CQC, I believe, in that game. Um, yes, and you can, can like grab enemies and throw yeah. them, which was a bit different to games at the time like Metal Slug, which were run-and-gun shooters as well, and Contra. It's really well known for its boss fights, and it received really well at the time, and has been included on uh, a count of, I think, about 32 different best games of all times list as well. So, Simon, please tell me about Gunstar Heroes because I'm extremely interested to hear what you have to say about this game. Okay, well, I came to it um, in a slightly weird way. Um, it was it was around 1993, I think, probably 94, something like that. But my local secondhand game store was called Mad Andy's in, in South London, where I grew up. And um, I, would, I had like a had a weekend job or whatever doing pizza and things like that and um i would just spend my money on mega drive games um that, okay. I, that i bought from there and i quite often didn't know much about the 
instead of us buying and we just take yeah. punts and you know play it for a week and then trade it in well back then you could only really or rely whatever. on whatever was shown on the box art or the screenshots exactly. on the back of the case yeah exactly or if you'd read about it in a in a magazine but if if you know that it was an older game that had come out say six months before it wasn't necessarily in the magazine so you yeah. wouldn't you know you wouldn't know if it was good or not so Anyway, there's. I remember seeing Gunstar Heroes on the shelf, and I took it up to the the guy behind the counter and said, "Do you know anything about this game? Is it is it any good?" And he didn't. He hadn't heard of it, so he reached under his counter and pulled out this phone book, what looked like a phone book, and uh, opened it up. And I was like, "What? What's that?" And he said, "This is the this is the Bible that we use that sets the the prices of um, how much we should." pay for secondhand games and how much we should sell them for so it's like just a long printed list with every game ever released and how much it was worth basically and as a trade-in or, or, or to sell but alongside that it had a one-line review and a five-star rating so oh, okay. like whoever was compiling this was not only you know thinking about the economics of it but also was you know giving a very basic review and, and yeah. a star rating and he you know, found gunstar heroes and had for five out of five stars and he was like whoa what is this game you know very few of them <laughs> get get full marks and um, so i was like okay i'm taking it i'll take it and took it home and you know anyone who's played gunstar heroes even today that's it's a, an incredible game um it has uh it has this very awesome very treasure um you know treasure like system whereby you can mix and match your weaponry um so you might pick up a flamethrower and then if you also pick up a homing missile it will combine the two so it will create um homing fireballs basically <laughs> um, so a bit like mixing colors yeah. you can create new kinds of weapons from from whichever two you combine um which is which is just a brilliant piece of game design and it was so well executed in that game and put to such interesting effect like you mentioned in your in your intro with the the boss fights for which again treasure is very well known so it was yeah, my first like, introduction to that company they were like screen sized huge boss yeah, screens yes very very iconic. yeah there's one totally there's one boss in particular in, in, in gunstar heroes where you you're in the um, your character Gunstar Red or Gunstar Blue is standing in the very f- forefront of the screen just on the 2D plane and then behind him there's this 3D running um, fire giant that runs in a big circle around what looks like 3D space and it's like how the hell are they doing that this is before you know and it's 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 faked or whatever in, yeah. in some ways I guess I don't really understand the technical side of it but um but it was like nothing i'd seen at the time and um it's a two-player game as well so i was able to play it with my brother yeah. and you know you play side by side it's co-op um so any games you know when you're that age and you've got a brother you, you know any games that allow both of you to play at the same time yeah. um help you know reduce the number of arguments and <laughs> all of that stuff so you i have to play very, it doubly as long as well <laughs> yeah totally so so yeah i've got fond memories and it also introduced me to treasure which is one of my favorite game developers in in the world um, yeah i don't i don't want to spoil they haven't had too much out recently yeah i don't want to spoil too much but this isn't the only treasure game on this right (laughs) (laughs) well did you uh well you probably did but did you know the storyline was different in the west from it was in japan for the game i had heard that yeah i could remind me though the specifics um i think uh there was a little 
difference in the characters, but the main problem was that the main antagonist was basically Hitler in the Japanese right. version. So oh, right. obviously, yes, that makes sense. Because Japan likes to do that. They they basically like to rip real people and put them in video yeah. games. They have done for right. a very long time. Many characters you really really like, you probably don't know, are inspired by real people. Because right, that's yeah, basically yeah. how Japanese game development works in terms of characterization. They, right. <laughs> they take real people and they make them into video game characters. Especially yeah. rock stars. Seems to be a big thing about rock stars being real people. Right, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Michael um, Jackson was in uh, Space Channel 5 too. Wasn't yeah. Yeah. yeah, and if yeah. you've ever played uh, Guilty Gear, the fighting game, like yep. every character in that game is a reference to a real musician. Uh um, oh yeah because it's axel isn't it yeah Which i guess it's axel yeah. Rose. Yeah. yeah so you got a lot of people who are references to real people um but it, hitler was basically <laughs> the, bad, the bad guy in gunstar heroes so they had to change that for <laughs> obvious reasons <laughs> yeah right yeah so was is there anything particular about that game that being on your island is it the replayability or is it the nostalgia factor for you why it's on this list yeah, a bit of both. I mean, I've picked all of the games I've picked. I've picked because they, I enjoy playing them, but also because they have uh, you know, generally a happy memory attached to them, yeah. which I think will you'll need after you know the third year of playing Tetris. <laughs> <laughs> just to those old times when you used to play with your brother, and you're like, right, ah, it's yeah, just not totally. the same. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What, um, so was the Mega Drive because obviously the Game Boy was maybe three or four years before the Mega Drive? Um, yeah, was the Mega Drive like your first uh proper home console that you were saying that you had the Atari but it felt like a computer? Computer was the Mega Drive the first home console for you? Or yeah, it was my have... first con- console that I got, yeah, which I got a couple of years after the, the Game Boy, I think. And okay, I had um Mickey Mouse Castle. Illusion was, Castle the, of Illusion was the game I got. I got with that, yeah, um, which was very pretty, um, yeah. but I don't think it's held up that well uh, today. Um, but yeah, I was really a, a Sega kid until uh, um, uh, until the the PlayStation came out, and then I went back and got really into the older Nintendo stuff. By that, point, okay, so, I was going to um, say you because yeah, you, you just know, went when from Sega to PlayStation. You you're the polar opposite to almost everyone. <laughs> I know. Well, you know the. When you're that age, you can't you can't really be both unless your parents no. are loaded. I guess yeah. you you kind of you pick a side, and that's that's where you have to be for for a few years. Um, yeah. It's really funny people who will play games now who are quite younger who don't. It's almost cliche. It's like, oh, did you like Sega? Or did you like Nintendo? No one ever <laughs> really liked. I mean, I had a Mega Drive, but yeah. then yeah. I got a Nintendo sixty four, and then everything changed, and I went back and I bought a Super Nintendo and. And then I obviously would claim myself to be a Nintendo child in comparison yeah. to even the, the fact that Mega Drive was my first console ever. Right, yeah, yeah. But now it's like kids have PlayStation 4, the Xbox One, <laughs> probably yeah. not the well, Wii U. Well, and, you know, everything's on Steam as well, isn't it? That's so, true, yeah. That's yeah, it's true. not quite... But that that's probably a good thing, right? I mean, you know, I think the tribalism of the 90s was... You know, it's not great, is it? <laughs> Just no. making setting kids at war with one another. Yeah. When over, you used to see those games, and the reality is that, yeah, yeah, exactly. They encouraged it, didn't they? Like, yeah, they were brutal. Ad campaigns. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the reality is that you know, on every single uh, video game platform that's been released, even the the really 
donkey ones like Jaguar or whatever, there's always a gem to be found. So, you know, I think I think pretty much whatever you you get, there, there, there's always some something fantastic. Oh, absolutely. It's when you think back to that time, it, people who had a Mega Drive maybe didn't get to play games like Earthbound or Chrono Trigger mm-hmm. or yeah. Secret of Mana or, you know, Super Mario World and Link to the Past. But then people who didn't own a Mega Drive didn't get to play all the Sonic games or they didn't get to play like Way of the Shinobi. Um, that yeah. kind of those awesome platforming games that were on the Mega Drive as well. Yeah, 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 what, yeah exactly. Do you, did you have a game called Terminator versus Robocop perchance? I don't know if I, I did have a Robocop game I okay. think, for, for the Mega Drive, the but first I, don't game, it, I don't know if Terminator was involved. Okay, well, the first game I ever played, ever, that I have any memory of is a game called Terminator versus Robocop, and I've not played right. it at all to this day and i've never spoken to anyone about it so <laughs> i'm not sure whether i dreamt it or it's not real <laughs> but i vividly remember that being the first game i ever played <laughs> right nice. okay well that's awesome because i really enjoy gunstar heroes as well i bought the wii virtual console version of the game a couple of years yep. ago when the virtual console was really getting some good stuff on it especially some yeah, Sega yeah. games. And I played it and I was like, wow, this game is so good. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> After having I think there's, there's a pretty games. decent version on Xbox 360 as well. Yeah. If people want to, want to find it. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's also on the 3DS now and it's part of the 3D classics, which I've heard are really good. I haven't played any of them, but I've heard right. that the 3D makes those games really pop because of the colors ah, okay. of the Mega Drive at the time. Um, ah, nice. So it could be worth going back and having it. That, if that's good enough, that can be the version you can have on your island if it's good enough <laughs> uh, i think i'd need the the mega drive originals so. okay did you have the controller with the six <laughs> yeah. buttons or the four buttons um i can't remember because i'm getting confused with the satin one which it was definitely six buttons okay but i can't remember how many there were on i Wasn't could be entirely wrong but i four, yeah i think that when the mega drive first was released yeah. it had four button controllers but right. then when I uh, had games like Mortal Kombat and more fighting games coming out, they were yeah. the six button controller. But I could I don't know if that's true. <laughs> because it wouldn't be <laughs> compatible with the three button controller. Oh, was it the three button? Uh, yeah, no, why am I saying four? I think it was the three button and then they released a six button. Maybe they So did, they, yeah. they, they copied the buttons from the top down and yeah. then you could change them into something else. I could it's all gone. Me. They're dead. Yeah. They're just, they're screaming at us right now. Yeah. Like, you idiot. <laughs> yeah. You, you call yourselves. <laughs> yeah, I can yeah. just imagine. Uh, <laughs> well, we're going to talk about your next game next. Uh, next game next. Your next game now, which isn't even a game, really. Technically. <laughs> and I'm very interested to wonder why you picked this instead of the actual game. Okay. But, Let's let's go to listen to some music. we 
Okay, Simon, so your next quote-unquote game is the original Metal Gear Solid for PlayStation, but the demo. <laughs> yes, so, okay, the reason I've done this is prior to Metal Gear Solid's release, um, in the UK at least, and I'm sure it was the same in other places around the world, um, Konami released a, a demo disc, and it was packed inside of um, ISS soccer or iss pro i can't remember pro basically the forerunner to pro evo uh international superstar soccer okay i think it was the 1998 or something like that anyway it had a separate disc on which they had the opening level of metal gear solid which is set on shadow moses island when uh, which is in Alaska, and Solid yeah. Snake uh, infiltrates um, this nuclear base there. And uh, it gave you, oh, I can't remember, maybe about half an hour of uh, the game. It actually gave first. you, uh, I actually looked into it, because I remember playing it, but I remember yeah. nothing of it, but I read about it before okay. this. Uh, it actually gave you the first five rooms of the main game, which right. for okay. people who obviously know about Metal Gear, it takes you from the very start where you infiltrate the base, uh, right up until when the DARPA chief, Donald Anderson, dies from a heart attack. Yes, in his cell. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it takes you from the first... Right, so it's a good amount. A good yeah, amount it's, a, it's an extremely good amount. Yeah. And what I loved about it, um, and I love I loved the full Metal Gear Solid, like, yeah. obviously. Um, but what I really loved about the demo was I just played it over and over because there were it just felt like there were so many different ways to approach every scenario so metal gear is obviously a sneaking game where yeah. you can uh, either choose to run in and take all of the guards head on which is ill-advised because generally they're they're much better you know equipped than you are or you have to uh, you know sneak your way up there and to infiltrate the base in in metal gear solids at the start of the game they're very various ways in you can you can go through the main door you can go through these air vents and for me it's really the defining scene in that entire series um it just has everything that i think is great about metal gear um you know the the sense of agency and choice the sense that the the designers have just thought of every possible thing you might do in that game and either made a joke about it or a comment when you go to do it it there's you can look at any object in the game world and and dial on your codec which is i guess like a, a mobile phone implant or something like that and yeah there are different frequencies you can call on that to speak to different people in your team uh, back at home your support team and um there's one guy in particular who will just give you information on different things you look at if you then call him so you could be looking at one of the the rats and give him a ring and he tells you all about this particular rat and you know it's uh, where it, where it comes from uh, how long it lives for all of this is really random those, trivia those and kojima details it just yeah and it, you know it's ludicrous and i don't have time for that now <laughs> <laughs> um, but at the, at the time when i was a student or whatever i could just spend ages just soaking it all up and all this yeah. detail and it was really the first time that i'd played a game with that level of um, finesse, maybe in this particular way of just presenting you with a scene and and allowing you to play play in it how you wanted to. There was no there was no right way or wrong way necessarily. Okay. Um, and so I played it over and over and over again, and have very strong, vivid memories 
of that one area in particular. Um, and I think, I guess, lots of other people did too because he brought it back in it's solid four there's a, a section where you return to shadow moses and yeah. it's not as it's not as good and as powerful as as in the original so it's a yeah, dream me, while snakes on amazing. the train isn't it in metal gear something Solid. like that yeah he's yeah. i'm not the biggest metal yeah. gear 4 fan oh okay to be honest so okay. um, yeah but uh <laughs> yeah. yeah i don't yeah and then i remember because i was so into into the idea of metal it's solid by that point it completely yeah. sold me this demo and it came out the full game came out in japan and then it came out but it was all japanese language only which i i couldn't speak and and then it came out in america where it came to the uk and there was a shop in london just off oxford street an importer um that got in copies of metal gear solid for the american version but okay. konami had had issued some kind of um you know, announcement saying any any st- that they would you know seek to prosecute any import stores that tried to sell Metal Gear Solid <laughs> ahead of the European release. So I remember going into this store, having heard that they had copies of the game, and kind of mumbling to the guy, "Do you do you have Metal Gear?" And he was like, "Yes, but you have to give me you have to give me the money here." And then and he packaged it up under the counter, so I basically couldn't see it. So it felt very. Um, shady <laughs> very um, wow yeah, so konami, that's a very strong memory as well konami truly living up to their reputation even 20 years later <laughs> uh, yeah I, they didn't have that reputation at the time so much no. that's a much more recent thing where yeah. people people think they're, they're nefarious and awful but uh yeah, yeah certainly <laughs> they didn't they didn't want people to be selling that game ahead of its street date okay do you think on a desert uh, on a desert i keep saying desert deserted island or a place where you can only play a game forever. Would you rather the full game? Because you can play through that whole first bit anyway. And you can just restart and restart. But one day you might be like, I I kind of want to go and actually see the Metal Gear. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, maybe. There was a version of of Metal Gear Solid that came out about a year after the normal version in Japan called Metal Gear Solid Integral. And that added a first-person mode so you could switch to Snake's perspective, which was, you know, an amazing technical accomplishment for the the PlayStation 1. And, and, you know, if I was going to take a version of the game, I'd probably take that that version um for the full one but okay um, but okay, I, do, well, I think i think it's interesting to have restrictions i think it's nice to go here's just a small area now yeah get creative in an area. yeah okay well maybe maybe in this special case you can take the demo with you and then you can put <laughs> a letter in a bottle uh, send it out to the sea or <laughs> to the void of space and one day I might receive it and then I will send you the full game back when you're ready. <laughs> how, yeah. Let me ask you, like, how was it the first time you met Kojima then? How was it after being, having spent all this time playing the demo? And what, yeah, was, was there a hundred questions you wanted to ask him? And um, I just really wanted to hear his story. So I think the first time I interviewed him was a few years ago now and it was for a Guardian profile, and yeah. um, I had the chance to have breakfast with him. So it was one of those. He was in London. Um, I can't remember what he was there for. It w- certainly wasn't Metal Gear Solid Five. It was something else. Um, anyway, he was in London, and um, just I got a phone call saying, "Would you like to come and, and meet him?" And we had two hours, and um, his artist uh, Shinagawa was there as well, and. Um, 
yeah, it was just amazing. And I just wanted to hear his story. Where did he come from? What was it like growing up? And yeah. uh, because it, uh, it, it's definitely been told in Japan before, but um, I hadn't really read a, um, an English language um, biography really of, yeah. of those early years for him. And his story's really interesting. Yeah, it um, is. And he was able to talk about, you know, when he first joined the games industry, how all of his friends and family were like, well, you know, why are you doing this? It was, it was not a well-respected job at all. Yeah. Um, people thought that, uh, I think, you know, he gave a story about speaking, giving a speech at, a, at his, uh, one his friend's weddings. He was, he was the best man. And uh, his and got up to introduce Kojima and said, um, this is Kojima, he's a hardworking, intelligent man, but for some reason he's decided to make video games, <laughs> um, which is, you know, just really gives you a sense of yeah. how being a video game designer was viewed, even in Japan in mm. the late 80s, um, you know, which we in the West would would think that, you know, in Japan, you know, it's, they're much further ahead than we are in terms of the respect that video game designers are yeah. afforded, but it's just not true so no it really um, is not so yeah it and really I, is not. yeah yeah and, uh, when i when i met him i took a i took my copy of metal gear solid with me to get it signed which <laughs> which is you know not not something you should do when you're a journalist really but um <laughs> it's not every day you get a chance to to sit with no. um, kojima and shinagawa like that and um while i was chatting to kojima shinagawa picked up my copy and he just idly drew this picture of uh, this profile side-on view of, of solid snake on the front cover and um, it's just one of my most treasured possessions oh that is so superb i've read that article <laughs> it's absolutely superb it's a two-part piece on the guardian's website it's amazing the detail you get to speak with oh, kojima about you. his early um life and how he, his his parents used to take him to the cinema often or they used to allow him to go to the cinema very often to like watch films but he had to talk to them about the film and that kind of thing yeah as long yeah. as he bought the program and, and yeah talked to them about what he'd seen yeah, so, it's, yeah. It, yeah his dad it's, died when he was quite young so yeah um, i think that had a big effect because of his dad's love of films so. yeah because he watches two films a day, doesn't he? He watches one in the morning and then one in the evening. Right. Well, he says he does. <laughs> I can imagine he actually yeah. does. I'm not sure if he does on his current world tour. That he's no. <laughs> he's on. like, Mark, Mark, be quiet. Be quiet. I'm watching I'm watching Django Unchained on my iPad on a train to Brighton or something. <laughs> I've got to watch it, okay? <laughs> no, it's a, it's a superb interview. It's really, really good. You should check it out. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thank you. No. Okay, well, that's... Well, as we said... Uh, maybe maybe we'll send you the full copy if you're done with the demo at some point. <laughs> Thanks, man. Okay, so we're going to move on to your next game, which is a game I have no idea about, and I I couldn't even find any information on the internet really about it, so I'm very interested to hear about it. So let's listen to some music. That's if I can find any.
Okay, Simon, so your next game is a sports game. Technically. Yeah. <laughs> it's called yeah. Smash Court Tennis. And in the West, it's actually Anna Kornikova's Smash Court Tennis. Right, yeah. And in Japan, it's called Smash Court 2. Because there was somewhere in the 90s a Smash Court 1. <laughs> Please, it's uh, yeah. tell me about this game. It's published and developed by Namco. Um, I heard it was a pretty simple game that had a few various modes, but they were like almost Mario Party-esque tennis games. Mm. Yeah, probably the closest um, the closest game to it these days would be Everybody's Tennis by the, the Everybody's Golf team. Um, yeah. So, yeah, there were, th- there were three of them, Smash Court 1, 2, and 3, released in Japan. At that time, I was buying a lot of import games from computer exchange change in in london in central london they had a huge collection of japanese games i don't know where they were coming from but they seem to have most of the new games that were coming out in japan in central london you know within a week a week or two of release and um yeah i just remember taking a punt on this game i like the front cover um and the reason it's here is really again because of fond memories playing playing it with my brother he's my brother's much more into sports than i am um so he really loves iss football and um you know more recently fifa uh, yeah but also he just got super into smash court tennis and we were a doubles team in that and we were just undefeatable <laughs> in the game um and it's it's humorous it's funny you you unlock ridiculous costumes and hats and i think you use like frying pans for your for your racket so that's the kind of tone of the thing yeah um, you could actually uh unlock namco characters as well and you could have like yes. pac-man and you could have eddie yeah. gordo and heiachi and yoshimitsu from tekken and yes all that kind that's of crazy right. things yeah, yeah. i'd forgotten <laughs> that yeah and you you know like if you hit the umpire with your ball they would fall out to the chair and you know be really cross at you and, and it was <laughs> uh there was very little japanese in it okay so it's easy to to play play. but like you say yeah like you say there were loads of there were loads of unlockables that were quite fun but also just like the the basic game of tennis was quite um finessed and nuanced and you you could play trick shots okay yeah it was just one of my favorite tennis games and um I think some of that is, of course, you know, with all these things to do with the time at which I was playing it. It was yeah. like a really long summer holiday. I was home. My brother was there. And we just like every night would play for, for a couple of hours. And, yeah. Um, yeah, it was just very happy memories. Awesome. So you say, well, you've said you spent a lot of time playing video games with your brother when you were younger. Do you still get together sometimes and pull out these old games yeah. like Smash Court Tennis and try try your best to play them not so much pulling out the old classics unfortunately i mean we do when i see him we will quite often have a game of fifa yeah uh, which we we still really enjoy playing together i think actually yeah. fifa's an incredible game um yeah it, it gets a bit of stick from i think you know it's seen as one of those games that people who aren't really into video games play a lot of like yeah you know, everyone who doesn't really like video games that much plays call of duty Yes. The cliche is that Um, anyone who doesn't like video games that plays video games plays either Call of Duty, um, FIFA, and most recently Assassin's Creed. 
Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I lo- I like Call of Duty a lot of the times. Certainly, the you know Modern Warfare, Modern Warfare Two, yeah. are just incredible games. Uh, and I think most Fifas are, are excellent. I, and I don't like Assassin's Creed, but um, <laughs> don't say that the... too loudly. I agree with you, but don't say it too loudly. Yeah, uh, yeah. Let's not talk about Assassin's no. Creed. No, this podcast will get stricken off the internet by someone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um do you, do so, you play yeah, a lot uh, of fifa then do you play a lot of fifa not loads um i i play it when i've got a friend over basically i don't okay. i don't really play it on my own um but i think it's just a, a great if you've got someone that can basically knows how to play yeah a bit of fifa then it doesn't matter which version you get out they're going to be able to play with you yeah. and um and you know if they're if you're much better than than them if you you're much better at the game then you can just play on the same team and that works yeah. rather than competitively so yeah i think it's uh and smash court tennis had all of that stuff for me as well it's um yeah it's just a really easy game to put on and and within a very short amount of time you'd be having a lot of fun and that is rarely true with video games these yeah. days they often they it takes takes a while to get the momentum up you know yeah you sound a little like me because i i really enjoy sport especially football and yeah. I play a lot of FIFA and obviously the friends I grew up with were video gamers who didn't really play sports and they didn't really play sports games. So it was always kind of this thing I had to myself where I used to play like World Cup 98 or I used to play like Snowball Kids and I used to play Everybody's Golf and all these quirky little sports games just to get around my wanting to play sports games addiction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, I will have to add you on playstation or xbox and play you against at fifa at some point defo yeah that would be interesting <laughs> i do i do love a game of fifa myself <laughs> okay so we're gonna move on to your next game and i'm very interested to talk to you about your next game for a multitude of reasons so let's listen to some music Okay, Simon, so your next game is Xenogears. Mm. It was originally uh, developed and published by Squaresoft, who are now Square Enix. It was originally released in 1998 for the PlayStation 1, and it was the first game in the Xeno series, which has now spun all the way to the most recent Xenoblade Chronicles X in some spiritual successor form. Um, It actually never received an official release in PAL regions, and it was directed by Tetsuya Takahashi, who you actually recently interviewed, didn't you, for Eurogamer? I did, yeah. Unfortunately, it was one of those interviews where I wasn't in the same room as him. Um, oh, okay. But because uh, I'd love to 
I'd love to meet him in person. Um, I've got a real soft spot for Takashi and his games. They they are often flawed, um, and Xeno Gears is certainly flawed. It was um, it came out quite soon after Final Fantasy VII when everyone was really super into Japanese RPGs, which yeah. it seems like a strange thing to say these days when people are definitely not into Japanese RPGs, but. After Final Fantasy VII came out, there was, you know, the the mainstream was really interested in JRPGs, and um, I love Final Fantasy VII, and I debated which one of those two games to put on here. Um, but I went for Xenogears because it's a little bit more quirky. Um, well, it's a science it's, fiction uh, RPG, really. Yeah, it's, it's, it's yes. It's very strange to yeah. say it came around the same time as Final Fantasy VII when people are really starting to get into JRPGs. When for for so many years. People who had played like Super Nintendo had had this wealth of JRPGs, yeah, and right. Xenogears actually almost changed the formula a little bit. Not in a Final yeah. Fantasy VII 3D kind of way, but changed it because it was uh, not a fantasy setting. It was a martial arts based combat, and it yeah. thematically it dealt with many different aspects like religion and philosophy, and yeah. it was a very strange game for to come out of japan that's for sure yeah it was and they got in trouble i think with the because it um it was quite critical of the roman catholic church yeah and it got in it got censored in the north american version as did final fantasy tactics which is another of my favorite games from that era um but yeah i guess it was it was interesting that it was a fully 3d rpg so you could you could rotate the camera where final fantasy 7 and and the you know parasite eve the majority of other games of that ilk at that era were it was a 3d character on a two two two-dimensional painted background yeah um and uh gears was incredibly ambitious because it was just no we're going to do full 3d we're going to have um, characters, you know, a, a team of humanoid play, uh, characters that you can be in, you can go into battles with, but also uh, mecha, you know, they can jump into mechas and they can yeah, fight as well. Because and... it, the game had basically two uh, battle styles. You had like the ATB system, which was all focused around like martial arts combat. And then yep. you had this like second battle system where you could fight in uh, gears, which were like the mechs yep. of the game. Yeah. And you could like, you built up to what was like, uh, I think it was called like a death blow. Right. And yes, you could like deal right. a death yeah, blow right. and like finish your enemy in one go. Yeah. And it was like this epic animation and it was really cool. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, so this was Takahashi's first chance to direct a, a game previous, prior to that he'd worked on, um, the Final Fantasy series. I think his first job at Square Enix was was designing a, a wall, a pixel art wall for one of the um, Snares uh, Final Fantasies, um, and so he just really went for it. And I think you know through his inexperience, he, he um, his ambition outstripped the the budget <laughs> and yeah. what they were actually able to deliver. So mm. the game comes on on um, two discs, and the first disc is like a fully fledged game 3d game and with you know you village you you visit villages and towns and dungeons and um the story is just so extravagant you know the one minute you're fighting um it's quite action-based actually you'll be you know there's a you know i think i remember a scene where you fight a giant worm on a uh, you know on a spaceship as it's as it's um crashing through the desert or something and it's so ludicrously ambitious and then they obviously ran out of money and the second half of the game on the second disc is really just cutscenes because they were like, we can't afford... <laughs> there was there was an incredible amount of it. anime cutscenes. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, it's a mess in that sense as well, because it's yeah. got, it's got, you know, hand drawn actual anime cutscenes and it's yeah. got cutscenes in the engine and it's a bit all over the place, but, but I'm still, and the, the English translation is terrible. They actually Square Enix, um, the first translation of the game into English was so incomprehensible that they sent it back to the localization company to retranslate. Um, and even then it's, it's quite hard to follow what's going on yeah. a lot of the time. Um, and it's definitely not his best game. His best game, I think, is Xenoblade Chronicles, um, which came out for the Wii, which is, uh, you know, an, an astounding RPG. But I still have a soft spot for this game. I'd like to play it again. I don't have the time to, to play this game again. So I'm thinking, um, you know, on my desert island, I'll, yeah. I'll have the opportunity. Yeah, so if you were trapped somewhere, you would you would force yourself to play through all the way to the yeah. second disc where you can just sit back and watch stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it looks pretty ugly, actually, these days. It's not aged well like those, like many of those 3D yeah. Saturn and PlayStation games. But most, think... most of the game took place in, like, side of, like, mechanical buildings and... They're all yeah. very brown and gray, so yeah, that's right. Those kind of yeah. colors just—they don't come through. It makes it no, look yeah, ugly. that's right. Yeah, like the early Tomb Raiders, uh, they've yeah, just yeah, aged absolutely. really badly. Yeah, yeah, very much so. So you actually got to review uh, Xenoblade Chronicles X for Eurogamer. I did, yes, I did. And you really liked it, didn't you? I did really like it. Again, like I, you know, that's really kooky. His his um, his stuff, and and this game is not exception i think while um while xenoblade chronicles is is quite um it's quite an orthodox uh, jrpg in some ways yeah. um the the most recent one for wii, wii u is definitely not it's using all these crazy designs involving you know um kind of like dark souls demon souls asynchronous multiplayer elements yeah. that come into your game without you really you know knowing about them and understanding them and so this whole strategy side where you're trying to mine a planet for um for resources you know while while trying to you know carry on with your other quests and all that so i did really like it. it's less it's less focused and elegant than than the game before it but yeah. um but i still had a really good time with it yeah fantastic uh how many hours did you clock in towards the end did you play it after you finished the review did you continue going Cause I... yeah i did yeah i, I yeah. did keep going yeah um i don't know i played a bunch i probably like 50 hours i put into it um nice. so yeah a lot of time and and there's still a lot more to see because yeah. it's one of those games that has um has you know they they release multiplayer events and things yeah. like that for it to to keep it going. the multiplayer is incredibly ambitious it's yeah it's a very strange it is like dark souls as you said an asynchronous uh system less so because you don't really see anyone unless you go into these specific areas or these specific missions where you can fight things together and then even sometimes they last like 30 seconds and yeah pulled out again yeah, and it's none of this stuff is very well explained, so it's it's definitely not a game for everyone. Yeah, oh, you have say. to read the guide. Yeah. It's really funny yeah. actually because it's apart from Smash Brothers, it's the only game I have installed on my Wii U because the Wii U hard drive is so small. So, <laughs> and I'm playing right, yeah. through it, and I'm about sixty hours in, and I'm really enjoying yeah. it. I like my scale, and 
I have so many other games in my like eShop download that I want to play, like uh, Mario Maker and all these kind of things. But Xenoblade Chronicle takes up so much space, yeah, no and I just can't yeah. delete it; otherwise, I'll lose everything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's a bit of a nightmare at the moment, but it's a really good yeah. game. And actually, one of the uh, there were two reviews specifically that sold me on the game because I absolutely loved Xenoblade Chronicles for the Wii, even though it was absolutely balls hard to get in this country when it on its right, first yeah. release um it was yours and uh mr chris schilling over uh oh yes yeah both his and he did your the review ones, yeah. uh he did the edge one and the kotaku uk one right um yeah. and both yours and uh his were talking about like the history of Zeno games a bit more and about all this quirkiness and how this world is trying to do so much more than you think it is, and it's beautiful and yeah. truly sold me on the game. So thank you for that because I had a really good nice. Christmas playing through it. <laughs> oh, sweet. Oh, that's good to hear. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we're going to move on from Xenogears now. We're going to go to your second treasure game. So we're going to listen to some music from that. Okay, Simon, so your second treasure game uh, on the list, and it's uh, Radiant Silver Gun. It's a, like right, a vertical, yeah. it's a vertical scrolling shooter, or shoot 'em up as some people call them. Uh, it's published by Sega, and it was originally developed and released in arcades, but then was uh, ported to the Sega Saturn later in 1998. It never actually released in the West, so I'm guessing it's one of those games that you got imported or you yes. played did you play on because it did get a western release in september of 2011 for the xbox right. live arcade store yeah and it was directed by hiroshi iuchi who actually had worked on gunstar heroes right yeah yeah and uh, went on to work on gradius 5 as well which is and, uh, uh, another amazing yeah and uh, ikaruka as well he went to direct yes ikaruka which is like yeah. a, one of treasure's most famous games of ever Yes, yeah. Although I like it slightly less than I like Radiant Silvergun. Okay. Um, so I th think, yeah. Uh, firstly, the music from Radiant Silvergun is incredible. Um, <laughs> uh, written by Sakamoto, who also did um, Final Fantasy Tactics and and a bunch of other games. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I think this is like a maybe some people will roll their eyes at this choice if they're of a certain age because for a while it was it was notorious for being pretty much the most expensive game that you could buy. Um, you know, this side of a, a Neo Geo collection. Yeah, um, it still um, sells. And the on reason eBay for way over a hundred and fifty quid most of the time. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah and it when i came to it uh, it was already it already had that reputation so i think oh, i paid okay. i probably paid like about 80 or, or 90 pounds for it Ooh. so i guess 120 130 dollars or something which is a lot of money at the time yeah um, so well yeah and, absolutely but the with good reason so the game came out it was one of the the very last titles to be launched for the Sega Saturn, um, long after everyone had dismissed the Sega Saturn as as you know being no good, and <laughs> uh, and of course the system wasn't that good in the West, but but if you lived in Japan, it was it was the it was an amazing system in terms of um, shoot 'em ups and um, fighting games as well. Yeah, um, and it had the greatest marketing campaign ever with um... oh, right, what was that in Japan? yeah in japan it had the uh oh how can i forget his name now uh the the old japanese guy who dressed oh in the suit no uh he dressed in karate outfit oh wow oh, i don't think i've seen those what ads. was his name oh, i can't believe i've forgotten his name my friend uh sean is gonna absolutely hate me because we've spoken about it a lot they had this advertising campaign for the sick of satin where there was this this old Japanese man who was in a karate outfit and he had like a big Elvis pompadour style haircut <laughs> and he used to carry a giant Sega Saturn on his back. Amazing. Like a huge Amazing. Sega Saturn on his back. And he yeah. would, he would travel across Japan, like spreading the word of Sega Saturn to everyone. But he was like, he, he was like a mortal um, oh, wow. Chuck Norris type. <laughs> oh, his name was um, Sagata, <laughs> Sagata, Sanshiro or something like oh, that. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's it. And yeah. there's a song. There's a song about. Yeah, there's like Sanshiro, Sanshiro, yes, that's or, it. Yeah, something like yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So and um, he's the, 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 the oh, final guy's doing now. <laughs> they <laughs> he just they, spent they, his they... nights cut, like curled up with a giant <laughs> Sega Saturn. Crying. It's really funny actually because not they haven't bought the actor back, but they've bought the character back. Because have you heard of a, a, a DS RPG series called Project Cross Zone? Oh yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, and it has like abs- t- hundreds t- of characters. RPG. Yeah, <laughs> it's a yeah, it's a like a strategy RPG for the the 3DS. Yeah, um, and it's made by Sega, but it has like characters from uh, Capcom and Namco, and it has all these yeah. Japanese heavy hitters. And the most recent one has like um, the Yakuza series characters, and it has Phoenix Wright, and it has Heihachi and Resident Evil, and it has all these characters. And Sagata is a character in it as well amazing yeah so he's a character in it too (laughs) but i remember his final advert is this infamous advert where a missile has been fired at the sega headquarters oh jeez! and he's on the roof of the sega like skyscraper in tokyo and he jumps off the the building and he catches the rocket stops it from going into the building by like like holding all his weight against it and then he fires it upwards into the sky and then flies off into the sky and blows oh, up wow. and kills him oh wow he's the he's the guy that that took the the fall for sega's <laughs> he did terrible he died making. he died so the dreamcast <laughs> development could continue <laughs> whether that was a yeah. worthy cause i'm not sure <laughs> but that was the marketing well, campaign in japan 
for the Sega Saturn, and it's absolutely wonderful. If you haven't seen it or you haven't heard of it, just YouTube it because some of the adverts are incredible. They're so good. But anyway, <laughs> deviating from that, uh, back onto Radiant Silver Gun. So you'd bought it at an extraordinary price, <laughs> but obviously it must have been worth it if. It's yeah, it was list. worth it. Yeah, it's okay. So it's just an incredibly clever design that's also cinematic in in all these interesting ways. So it's it's actually a three D game, and the Sega Saturn was notoriously terrible at three D, um, and it was seen really as the two D machine, and and that was part of its downfall because at that time the future was three D, and the PlayStation had come out, and everyone was excited about that. And then Sega released this system that was only really good for, um, you know, 2D beat-em-ups and, and shoot-em-ups. Um, and Treasure just kind of came out with this game right at the end of its life, start, uh, life cycle that, that kind of said, no, actually, you know, if you know what you're doing, the Saturn is an incredibly powerful 3D machine. And, and it really, the, the things they pull off in that game are, I would say, more impressive than pretty much anything on PlayStation even. Wow. Um, certainly there's the climactic battle at the end of the game where, um, similar to in Gunstar, actually, where you're fighting uh, you know, this flaming fireman who is running um, in the 3D background while you're, the, you're shooting... Um, in the foreground on the yeah. 2D plane, uh, and the camera's like panning around him as he's running and jumping, and you know he'll he'll jump high in the air, and then when he lands, a shower of bullets come out of his feet, and you have to dodge them. And you know, some of this stuff is you know it hasn't really been bettered in terms of direction, at least um, in this kind of game ever since. Um, and it also did a similar thing to. Um, to Gunstar Heroes in the, the thing that I mentioned earlier with that game where you could mix and match um, weapons and to create combination weapons. Um, that's exactly yeah. what Radiant Silver Gun does. So you it, was have, really, it was really um, different because you could you had all the weapons from the start. Like yep. the game gave you all the weapons from the start. You yes. didn't have to upgrade. And you could almost in a action combat kind of way, you could level up the weapons, not yourself. Yes. And yeah right there was, but there not, was like a weapon for that... every situation that's right exactly so you had a you have a gun that fires forward one that forward fires backwards one that's um you know home it will put up a homing circle around your ship and then fire lasers at anything that goes in there and if that game was made today by um by a, a less competent developer they would you'd get to the end of the level and it would go hey you've got this many experience points which of your guns do you want to level up um, Radiant Silver Gun doesn't do any of that. It's just constantly leveling up your weapons according to the amount of points that you um, that you gain by shooting down a target. So, yeah. if you score a very high amount of points by taking down a chain of of red coloured targets, um, then you're, the the particular gun that you've used levels up very quickly, um, and it, it creates battle, but incredibly flexible. Um, system that encourages repeat play and repeat play and you know it's a game that um, I'm still a long way from mastering and it's close <laughs> to 20 years on um, yeah you still uh, do you still play uh, yeah. it regularly yeah because I have I actually have an, an arcade machine in my garage and I oh, fantastic by the STV cartridge the which is the 
arcade version. Um, so I have that in my arcade machine most of the time. And um, uh, so I do still very often play and try and just see how far I can get on one credit. And um, it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, almost... Um, I don't know, like, I don't know, you find it not, not emotional is the wrong word, but there's something, um, there's something almost religious about, yeah. about the, you know, sitting down to play it, having an attempt yeah. and, and, you know, working your way through and creating the narrative of mm -hmm. your, um, of your attempt, basically. Yeah. Um, there's something mystical about it. That's, yeah. um, something, that I think, something yeah. so familiar yet you still haven't quite gotten to beats not beat but mastering yeah, yeah and knowing all the secrets of yeah there's something it's about uh, you know not fathoming the, the game yet like with a novel or something that there's loads of layers and texture and things that jump out at you each time you you read it or, or a film there are many films that look like that too yeah. and i think it's one of those games that just consists almost endless replays yeah. and every time you'll find something different or you'll come up with a new a new way of trying something and i find that very, very appealing much like the, the metal gear um opening level i like yeah. quite tight parameters where there's a great deal of um you know room for expression and and variance so you like your limitations it sounds like yeah you i like think limitations. i think often definitely and i i think designers like limitations i think you know often game designers do their best work when they have um tight restrictions and it was certainly true that when there were much tighter restrictions in terms of game systems i think we had in some ways much more creative games because nowadays you can just do anything and when you can do anything you you often end up just doing the same things that you've yeah. always done or just iterating in very small ways whereas yeah. when when there are very tight parameters it forces you to be incredibly creative um, in order to come up with new things yeah do you like limitations in your writing do you do you like people saying you can only do this you can only ask this you have this time frame you can or is Certainly that where we draw the line? Limits, <laughs> there's, um, I think uh, because I started mainly in, in print writing, um, there's, it's more disciplined when you're writing a piece for a magazine and you have, say, 600 words. And there's no, you can't go over that. You have 600 words to do everything that you can do. Um, that forces a certain type of discipline that you, when you move to the web, where you know if your editor says we want a 600 word piece you can turn it in at 750 words and it probably doesn't matter because yeah. space is unlimited really um the, yeah i think it it, uh, it teaches you worthwhile lessons having to work to these these tight parameters yeah. and you know you can see even with nintendo say with the WarioWare series they're forcing incredibly tight parameters on their designers specifically to get interesting ideas out of them yeah um, i think that's a quite quite an interesting example of, of where um, they're self-imposing these restrictions to to see what what gold they can find fantastic that's really interesting i hate limitations personally in terms of like work it's unneeded stress but i've never really thought about it in terms of designing i think it would be almost the worst thing to feel <laughs> oh god just give me time <laughs> it's really interesting well you used to work for um rockstar and 
they they appear not to have any restrictions <laughs> they can just uh, they find a way to do everything they want to do in, you know through their incredible yeah. talent and ambition so yeah yeah you know there's there's obviously something <laughs> to be said um to having extremely you know to being able to do whatever you want as well Oh, absolutely. Well, then you've got people like Takahashi Imru, you know, Crazy in the Blade Chronicles X on a yep. time limit, but then are like, sorry, we need like an extra six months because we have this yeah. grandiose idea and we need to, we need yeah. to keep going. I mean, that's, he's a, his games are a great example of, of where it goes wrong yeah um, because he's kind of like letting his imagination run wild um, and, you know, it does, it does seem like that the when he plays games. reality. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, fantastic. So we're going to move on to your uh, penultimate game, and uh, I'm very interested to hear what you have to say about this game, as it personally means a lot to me as well. So let's listen to some music. Okay, Simon, so your penultimate game on your list, uh, another game which you could definitely play forever is Street Fighter 4. Yes. Now, I want to know specifically what version <laughs> um, and why. Is it to do with certain characters or you, do you not want certain characters in your game? Because for anyone who doesn't know, Street Fighter 4 came out in 2009 for the PS3, the Xbox 360, and then later on PC. It was produced by the lovely man we spoke about earlier, Yoshinoru Ono. Um, but it continued to be re-released in various updated forms across most of the last generation, um, starting with Super Street Fighter 4, uh, which was a standalone title that released in 2010. Then an arcade version called Super Street Fighter 4 Arcade Edition came out later that year. And then a final version titled Ultra Street Fighter 4 was released while in the meantime there was lots of patch balancing and uh, a version 2012 and all kinds of characters being released and it's hard to define exactly what street fighter 4 is is as one package <laughs> right yeah, yeah so totally. it, 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 i think you, for, yeah sorry continue please well i think you know capcom do this with their, their fighting game series. This is something they've been doing for a long time. If you look yeah. at uh, Street Fighter 3, you know, it, it, it didn't go through quite as many versions of Street Fighter 4, but, um, you know, the, the first Street Fighter 3 is very, very different to Third Strike, which was the final version, obviously. Yeah. Um, you know, almost unrecognizably different, in fact. Um, and that's not quite the same as Street Fighter 4. It's definitely more iterative there. Um, 
for me, it would be either the the vanilla version, the very first one that came okay. out, um, with or the overpowered be... Sagat. <laughs> uh, yeah, oh, he's such a dick. <laughs> he's so <laughs> fucking awful. He's terrible. Whenever you meet met Sagat online, it would oh. always be a groan of, oh, it's just gonna be endless fireballs. And, I um, hate it. I hate uh... vanilla Sagat. <laughs> yeah. So, but but that one I, I'm very fond of because. Um, like many people, that's probably the one that I spent the most amount of time with. You yeah. know, certainly, uh, certainly in the job that I do, you know, it's it's hard for me to put as much time into a later version of a game than the one that I'm like commissioned to review at the start. Oh, so um, did you get to review Street Fighter Four on release? I did, yeah. So I reviewed it for for Eurogamer, and um, it was a. It's difficult to imagine now because we are we're kind of inundated with street fighter stuff but at the time it was just this very magical time yeah because street fighter had had disappeared basically third strike came out and um i spoke to honor about this basically the team were like well that's the perfect street fighter we there's nothing more to be done like that is the perfect uh, platonic ideal of what a street fighter game is yeah. and so they just set it down and they were like well we're done oh, <laughs> um, really? which it, uh, it, you know is probably half true i think as well they were probably like well the market's changed as well and <laughs> yeah. we probably won't sell as many you know people don't go to the arcades as much as they used to for whatever reason there was a 10-year period almost where there were no street fighter games and then almost out of the blue this announcement of street fighter 4 came and and suddenly everyone was like oh yeah we're totally ready for a new street fighter i'm so excited to play that and probably it was to do with the age that we all were where we played street fighter 2 when we were when we were young and um here was coming four and the the way that they were talking about it was like this is going to be a return to street fighter 2 we're using a lot of the same um designers you know with the the guys from dimps which was the third party yeah. studio that, that helped create the game you know a lot of those guys worked on the early king of fighters and street fighters 2 so it was this real sense that it was going to be a return to the purity of um street fighter 2 where you know third strike while it was probably you know the one of the one of the best fighting games ever was incredibly complicated for a newcomer to understand yeah. or it's, be able to even you know compete in. I think even now it's definitely the most technical Street Fighter that has existed. Right. Yeah. yeah. So for top tier players, it's amazing. It's amazing to watch. But yeah. but if you just want to have a go, you you know forget about it. And <laughs> that was never true with Street Fighter Two. It was always quite approachable. Like you know, mm. experts could play with newcomers, and and it would still be you know fairly entertaining. Um, and I remember being in, in Tokyo, um, going to see the Final Fantasy 13 team and we went to dinner with them one night and, you know, there's, here are these guys working on, um, you know, massive polished RPG and all they were talking about was Street Fighter 4 and how excited they were. And, you know, it was, it was quite, it, it wasn't out on consoles yet, but it was out in the arcades and I'd go to the arcade every, every night that I was there in, in town and yeah. would play the game and, you know, no one really, there was that communal excitement that you get when a new fighting game comes out. There's a lot of people playing it where everyone's discovering new stuff. And so it was very magical. It was a magical time. And yeah, um, yeah and I, I just played a lot of it. And, you know, so it would either 
be that version or i guess the the final version which i i assume um you know i'm not a i'm a, a mid-tier player at, at best although <laughs> I, i've beaten ono um every time i played him so um, I, asked him, ono, I asked ono to play me a game at gamescom <laughs> 2011 when i spoke yeah. to him and i interviewed him i was like please play me a game and he was like i'm sorry sorry no time no time uh so i ended up playing uh <laughs> do you know seth keelian Oh yeah, he's really good. Yeah, he's really good. But I didn't play him at Street Fighter. I played him at Marvel vs. Capcom Three. Okay, yeah. And I, I don't want to brag, but I was pretty good at that game. Yeah, oh, nice. <laughs> and I, I actually take beat. Him down. Yeah, I did. I beat. I beat him. And <laughs> I have a video of it. Someone filmed it for the website I was working at, at the time. And all, all you can hear is him complaining about me playing Wesker. <laughs> and he was like, oh, "I can't believe you're doing that. That's so cheap. I can't believe you're doing it." Uh, <laughs> no, you can't. There's no such thing as cheap, right? No, and he he was like the creative director. He wasn't the creative director. He was like uh, he was like producer on the game. Yeah. Yeah. For anyone who doesn't know, actually, uh, Seth, the final boss of Street Fighter Four and one of the main characters in the game, is actually a reference to Seth Keelian. Yeah, that's right. Who yeah. no longer works at Capcom or, or Sony, where he moved yeah. off. He's doing his own yeah. thing now. Because he was working part time, not part time. He was working uh, with the guys who made the PlayStation uh mm. battle all star all star battle which oh, was their, it, yeah. their version of smash brothers um yeah, that's right so you beat ono i did but he's he's no good so ah. <laughs> so it's, it sounds impressive but he is you know he's really like I, I think he gets the the spirit of street fighter he's very good yeah. at understanding what why street fighter appeals to people but um you know he is not the guy that's working out the number of frames that need to go no. into a dragon punch like they have yeah. complete fighting game nerds in yeah. tokyo that are that are doing that stuff um he's really the the mascot the face of it all yeah. um well they've but, done something yeah. so smart i think with ono which is I d- they didn't realize it but street fighter 4 is definitely credited with the revival of the fighting game community and the fighting game yeah. scene and yeah. with competitions like evo which are absolutely amazing to watch and they're so good um and it's just getting bigger and bigger um they've for a japanese company to realize this is also quite special but ono i think personally has been behind this he's like i need to be there i need to be the face of this thing i need i need everyone to know there's an identity behind that that's with you guys and working with you guys behind this and he's done so well to be that person he has and it's a problem that video games have a lot of the time because they're made by such huge teams and yeah. so many you know street fighter is not only made by like a bunch of people at capcom but also a bunch of people at an entirely different studio yeah that's not capcom yeah. and um so they are they really can be faceless entities and um i think this is why people like miyamoto kojima and and on and you know and there are some examples in, in the west as well you know even some of the indie stars like jonathan blow and yeah well um, you've got people like david cage um like yeah. <laughs> uh, i'm playing xcom too you've got jake solomon and yep. uh yeah, sid meyer exactly. and those kind of those kind of guys yeah so we do you know it helps a lot to, yeah. to have a face um to 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 attach something of the game to and i think everybody understands that um, you know, Jake Solomon is is not the only guy yeah. making XCOM two. And I think I think it's one of those things. Um, I think for gamers, it's really important. It's becoming more and more important because for so long, video games were done behind closed doors, secretive, yeah. by yeah. and it was almost like a machine, like a factory that 
gr- right. grinding out game after game and like as you said you would pick up a game in a shop and you would have no idea where it came from you'd have no idea yeah. what it was and you'd look at it and you'd be like treasure who a treasure and yeah right yeah, that yeah. kind of thing i think now especially with the internet and people being able to rage or write whatever they want there's this face there to calm everyone down and be like hey look we love you guys we love that you like our stuff and we want to be a bit more personal with you yeah kind of thing I yeah, think it's maybe it's, a reminder to people that there are humans behind this as well. Yeah, you know, particularly, absolutely. <laughs> you know, I think I think games. Were, you know, maybe younger people who are mega into games can be sometimes, dare I say, a little entitled. And um, <laughs> <Love it. laughs> uh, and you know, I think I think realizing that there are human beings that are working really hard, yeah, um, on stuff can can just help maybe people um, relax a bit more, um, perhaps. Yeah. That's that thing. And um, I think with people like Ono, especially in the fighting game community, which is absolutely fierce, it's so, they're so loyal. They live and breathe the community. And most of the time, they are not toxic or they don't complain. They're very productive. (laughs) And they have, I I think they have an ex Street Fighter player. His name's Combo Fiend. He's working as like a direct person between like the players and the people who are working on street fighter five so right, yeah it's like that kind of team manager or something yeah exactly yeah it can be i think it's a community, but i think it's a bit more working with the development team on right developing the game in in, in less of a community management yeah mm-hmm. just pr role basically right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> going back to street fighter four yeah <laughs> so do you still play a lot of Street Fighter 4 now? Um, or have no, you been playing the Street Fighter 5 beta? Have you played I that? Did, I have been playing the, the beta, but I'm waiting for the full thing, which I think um, is going to be this week, later this week, hopefully, around the 10th. Uh, I, I think, think it's Friday. Review, the, uh, or yeah. it's this Friday or next Friday. One of the Fridays. Yeah, I think the review code goes out on the 10th, is what I've been told. So ah. I'm pretty excited to play that but uh, you know and and I, I really like what i played in the game um there's you know it's it's just inevitable that it's not going to feel quite as special as four because there hasn't been the, the really yeah. huge wait time and yeah. that's just the way human beings work um so yeah. i i'm excited but it's not going to be quite as magical you know i think you'd need another 10 year hiatus for it to again <laughs> then come around so we're all kind of so hugely excited but um but i you know i hope the game does well i think it's tragic that it's not going to arcades which uh, i mean maybe it is now but the last i heard it wasn't going it's to arcades. not no it's coming straight um, out for the playstation 4 on the pc yeah which and is really strange because also... i live in japan and i actually yeah. was like oh i'm gonna get a play in the arcade before everyone else that's gonna be awesome yeah. and then no i'm not <laughs> yeah i mean it may be that they they do an arcade version and, and sony's just saying yeah you can't talk about that yeah well i guess yeah. we'll see yeah um because it seems sacrilegious that that there's not going to be an arcade version um so i think that's kind of sad and i also think mm. it's kind of sad that capcom clearly 
wasn't making enough money from Street Fighter to be able to fund Street Fighter V itself. Like it's had to go to Sony. And yeah, make it exclusive. It's, and it's really um, funny you say that actually, because when I was reading about Street Fighter Four, I've played this game religiously for many, many years. I only recently, mm. in about the past two years, maybe stopped playing as much as I did. But I play it every day. I play on a fight stick. I love yep. the game. I play it religiously with my friends. Owned every version. I watch Evo and all that kind of thing. But yeah. I was reading about it and I read worldwide throughout all the different incarnations of the game, the PC version as well. It's only sold just under 4 million copies. Right. Yeah. Which, yeah. And there's been a lot of, there's been fairly continuous development on it. Um, yeah. You know, ever since that first one, because of all the updates. So, Absolutely. It, it's just um, continual development team working right yeah. through from, which is 2008 in arcades before that. So it must've been 2007, yeah. maybe 2006 all the way now to 2016. Yeah, and it's, you know, if you compare that to, like, some of the MOBAs, you know, the the number of people that are playing League of Legends, you know, to launch uh, an eSport when you've got an install base of only, you know, 4 million or whatever, and and of that number, not everyone is playing it every day, right? Um, It just shows that, that actually you know, the fighting game community is a, a real niche compared oh, to some of yeah. the other esports out there at the moment. Yeah. Well, League of Legends is just, the money is there to build the base. I'm guilty of that myself because I actually do like League of Legends and I like, I actually prefer watching professional League of Legends than I actually right. like playing it. Um, right, yeah, yeah. The money, they're marketing behind that is Well, and I'm sure, I'm sure Capcom has spent a lot of time doing research as to whether they should make Street Fighter Five free um and just give it away in the same way that they do with league of legends and maybe charge people to to use certain characters or yeah. you know do the league of legends thing with a yeah. with a character rotation which is a very smart and inoffensive yeah. way to monetize your game if you I think the, it away for free i think the um, only problem with that being that characters in a fighting game obviously require an incredible amount more development yeah, and would right. take the the gap you would have between characters would be you would already have to, because if you were going to have a character rotation like League of Legends, you already yeah. would have had to have had a big roster of characters. Yeah. Uh, Street Fighter Four ended up with uh, 44 characters in the end. Yeah. So you would have to be pushing 25 at least to launch the game. Yeah, right. Just yeah. to have that five character rotation. Yeah, and month. people as well will, I imagine, you know, because... I, I mean, I think for the average player, probably the amount of time investment to learn the basics of a League of Legends character is probably less than you need for a Street Fighter character. So yeah. the risk is that everyone just buys Ryu and yeah. never buys another <laughs> That's character. That's true, yeah. So, like when Killer Instinct came a, out. There's also that problem for, probably for Capcom, if you see what Yeah, I, mean. I think the same thing sort of happened with Killer Instinct. Although Killer Instinct now seems to be this really big community and actually quite the game on the Xbox One. But when it came out, obviously, you could only play three characters and everyone was playing Jago and <laughs> it wasn't very fun. So and that's changed now. Yes. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And so whether that kind of system would work, who knows? But obviously, they've done the research and they're releasing it as a full yeah. pledge game. So they are, yeah. do you do you play with a fight stick or do you play with a controller? I do. Oh, I do. What um, fight stick I've... do you have? Well, I've got the. I really like the first tournament edition, the Mad Cats one. Yeah. Um, I didn't like the second one that they did because it had um, it had sharper edges, which um, on the sides, which uh, for some reason I didn't like. Mm. Um, 
But um, yeah, they've uh, because in anticipation of Street Fighter Five, um, I wanted to buy a new stick, and they just sold out the new Mad Cats PS4 sticks everywhere. Oh really? So, wow. Yeah, so I've ordered a. In fact, that was it arriving. <laughs> that was the, what the guy was bringing was um, a Hori stick. The, oh, really? The Kai, the, the, the Hibiscus <laughs> one, I think. So, yeah, for um, those of you who you didn't hear, but Simon's postman just arrived, so <laughs> he had to bring, yeah. quickly pop bring out. It, it was for a fight stick. Stick. It's funny because yeah, I knew had, what we were talking about. <laughs> yeah, because I, I was actually whispering. I was like, Simon, it's the Street Fighter Five review code. It's here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, alas, uh, just the stick. Oh, which yeah. which one is it? Is it the uh, the is it the Bison one or the Chun Li one? Or... It's the I think is it called the Hayabusa one? Is that Hori, is that Hori the one that's Hayabusa. got Ryu on it and it's he's got like his fists closed in like a V symbol? I I forget which one. They're so expensive that I've not even bothered looking at them because they are expensive. Yeah, yeah. It's funny yeah, no, because I'm I might look, yeah I might hold off on Street Fighter Five for the time being because. I can't go back to playing with the controller, and that's pretty much my only op- option at the moment. So. Yeah, they've. It's so annoying that they because they could totally just make it all USB compatible, right? Yeah. For, for everything, and um, mm. it's so annoying that they're not doing that. And I understand yeah. why because they, they need to. Yeah, everyone. No one will buy a new stick, but at well, the that's same true. Time, when they're it, that expensive, so. Yeah, I did read something yesterday, or was it the day before, about them thinking about legacy support and whether people should be allowed to and they should because yeah. they bought the controller um but then obviously that sort of crushes sales of the new sticks um but yeah. throughout this whole thread there were lots and lots of people posting their custom sticks that they'd spend hours and hours creating and they were like please right. please i want to use my hello yeah. kitty pink stick to fight with <laughs> yeah. bison or something <laughs> yeah right yeah so exactly. i might hold off but if i do get it just like fifa i will have you a few matches Definitely, definitely have you a few matches. Yeah, awesome. Okay, so I think we talked long enough on Street Fighter that we're going to move on to your final game now. Um, Yep. And it's the the only Super Nintendo game on this list. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yes. Yeah. So we're going to move on to your next game. So let's listen to some music. Okay, Simon, so your final game, the final game on your deserted paradise with all these wonderful games is Chrono Trigger. It's the yeah. almost the most talked about RPG of the Super Nintendo era. 
It was released and developed by Square in 1995 for Japan and North America. And like most of your games on this list, didn't actually get an EU release um, until later on when we got the DS uh, port in 2008. Um, The development team behind the game were dubbed the Dream Team, as it featured the creators like... Hironobu Sakaguchi, who's the creator of Final Fantasy. It had Yuji Hori, who was the creator of Dragon Quest. And it had the Dragon Ball artist and creator, Akira Toriyama, as well as some music was produced by Nobo Umatsu, who's the famous Final Fantasy composer. Uh, it was a huge commercial success for Square, selling over 2.6 million copies at the time, which was huge and is often dubbed the greatest RPG of all time. So, Simon, please tell me why Chrono Trigger is on your list and how you came to acquire it. Yeah, well, it's there for, for many of those reasons you said. Um, again, it was a game that I um, acquired. Like you say, it wasn't wasn't released over here. So I bought it in that computer exchange retro shop. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, back quite a few years ago. And... Um, this was when, for a very short amount of time, they, they had their very own premises right in central London. I mean, it's ludicrous now. You can't imagine. Uh, I mean, it's I guess in Japan, in Tokyo, you have Super Potato and, and those yeah, kind of places. Yeah, I, I was recently at Super um, Potato, and I actually bought the Japanese Chrono Trigger copy. Oh, you did? I did. Oh, at Christmas, I spent, unfortunately, a lot of my wage <laughs> on uh, <laughs> games at Super Potato, and I bought uh, Superboy. I don't know if you've heard of a Superboy. Yeah, 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 they're like uh, they're basically they play the big... Game Boy games. Uh, no, it's um, uh, it's 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 different to that. I I know okay. what you're thinking of. Um, okay. but there's this uh, it's like a handheld, mm-hmm. uh, like a um, I don't know what it is. It is a handheld, but it's a Super Nintendo handheld, so you can put Super Nintendo oh, cartridges in okay. in it and play like a ds almost okay but you can plug Amazing. it into the tv as well and it acts like a an actual super nintendo yes, but i bought yeah, one of those so i could play super nintendo games here in japan and i bought a japanese copy of street fighter 2 final fantasy 6 which is my favorite final fantasy yep. and chrono trigger yeah yeah, yeah. so oh, yeah so, <laughs> yeah, so I, mean, I think not. they had this they had this retro shop in london and and it was like super potato not as big you know super potato yeah and he doesn't know is is on like five floors or something ridiculous yeah. isn't super it? potato um, is mecca for video games yeah um although it's they're, they're increasingly being cleared out aren't they by by foreigners coming in yeah and unfortunately PC engine games yeah people like me go over and they're like oh my god oh my god super potato oh my god <laughs> and then you spend you know 500 yeah. pounds in there <laughs> yeah <laughs> well for, for a very short amount of time there was this this similar shop in central london it, it can't have been more than six months but it was amazing it was a real aladdin's cave and they they just had stuff that i'd never seen before and, and haven't seen since in a lot of cases apart from maybe in in japan um and they had a copy of chrono trigger behind the till i'd um i'd heard about it i hadn't um i think you know you probably could have got a copy on ebay but it was very expensive they had a copy that was still in its cellophane wrapper the the guy that had owned it had just um put like a scalpel along the edge so that he could pull the game and the instructions out but it kept the cellophane on so it was in real mint condition which at that time because it was really into game collecting mattered to me um and so i I bought it. It was, I think it was 60 pounds, which was by far the most I'd ever spent on a video game at, the, at that 
at that time. Yeah. Um, and when the guy sold it to me, he said, he said, oh, this was brought in a couple of days ago. And, and the, the man that brought it in, you know, when he sold it to the shop said, um, make sure whoever you sell it to looks after my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, uh, and so, yeah, I just, you know, it was quite, um, there was a bit, there was quite a lot of ceremony to it. I think, you know, even the, even the buying a game. And I still love that thing when you go to a shop and you buy a game and you, you have that, you know, the time it takes you to get back home from the store back to your house is always this really magical moment because you've got a game in your, in your bag that is just all positive potential. Like a, a game that you're yet to play is always perfect in some way. Um, and yeah, that was, that was, seemed like even more the case with Chrono Trigger because I was so excited to play it. I'd heard such amazing things about it. And um and then I just had this really beautiful, um, you know, mint condition copy as well. Um, and it's a game, it's a time traveling game. Um, so the structure of the game is really interesting. Yeah. Um, you're zipping back and forth through time. Things that you do in the past basically affect the, the, the present and the future, much yeah. like, like in Back to the Future. Um, <laughs> and the designers just use it to really great effect um, yeah. you know, something that you're doing ancient history will affect uh, the descendants of your characters which will then affect whatever happens in 600 years time and yeah. all the way into the future yeah and the game i think has 13 different endings um which improve depending on how much of the how many of the problems in the world you've resolved and um it was one of the few games that i i guess i really wanted to get the the best ending and i played you know very determinedly for for a few weeks um trying to complete everything and restore the world to what it should be and um and then i got the best possible ending and when i'd done that i quite ceremoniously took the um took the game cartridge put it back into the the box and um and then put it away in a cardboard box and uh, i haven't really played it again since so um and you yeah, still it's... you still own that copy as well I still own that copy. Yeah, oh, definitely. that is wonderful. Yeah. That is awesome. <laughs> That's fantastic to hear. Yeah. So yeah. So I, I don't think I wouldn't get rid of it. Um, and um, yeah, I've met, I've interviewed the two people. So Hironobu Sakaguchi, who's the yeah. Final Fantasy creator, and he worked with Yuji Hori, who's the guy that created Dragon Quest. And obviously, Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest are the two classic role-playing game series from japan and i think this was the only time that they came together to work on a project um and it had uh mitsuda i think it's the guy that that wrote a lot of the music for it um and it's it's an incredible soundtrack as well yeah Um, very evocative now he unfortunately now for me he unfortunately got very sick towards the end of the development and that's when uh omatsu stepped in yeah, which I heard was because he was. I think that he 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 asked for a chance to 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 compose some of the music. Um, he, I think he was fairly junior at the time, as I re- okay. remember correctly. And so he, the reason I think he got sick was because he worked so hard. Oh, wow. He just wanted Dedication. he wanted to nail it. Um, so he really went over the top, and and um, you know just just got sick through overwork. I think. Yeah, it's, that's the story I've heard at least. Oh, I I don't know other than that Nobu had to come in towards the end to compose a few tracks, and the soundtrack right. is classic, square, wonderful, <laughs> majestic fantasy. It's so good. 
Yeah, it is. And, you know, it's part of me wonders how much of that is just because, because it, you know, it's evocative of the time at which we were playing it and yeah. you know it's in that tinkly super nintendo sound chip way and i wonder if just someone coming in that didn't have all of that um context would feel quite so- the same way but but who cares like either way i think it's <laughs> an amazing soundtrack so, yeah yeah it's it's fantastic did you play have you so you've not played it since you originally played it so you didn't Ooh. play the nintendo ds port i played the ds port um yeah i think it, it was it, it was fantastic i didn't i didn't play it all the way through again i think it's one of those games you know even though i'm choosing to take it with me <laughs> to this island um i would like to play it through again but um i would again need to be forced to sit down with a bunch of free time to to do that but yeah i think probably a sufficient amount of time has now passed that i could i could play it through and it would feel fresh again yeah yeah i think it's it stood up that game um again you know it's it's sometimes difficult to know how much of this is just it rose tinted glasses and and it was undoubtedly a classic at the time but i do wonder you know how much some of these real sacred games have actually hold up yeah Um, you know particularly you know playing through like resident evil again recently um which is i still remember fondly but i don't know if it's good in the sense that it was good at that exact moment in time um and yeah. it isn't just necessarily good in general um and i i don't think that's true with chrono trigger i think i think no. it's inventive enough that, yeah i can tell you from personal experience over christmas i played some of chrono trigger i at least played about 10 hours of it on the superboy um yeah. most of it was in japanese though so i couldn't understand it but the gameplay yeah. elements and the music and the setting and all the the mm. graphics and the characters it still felt good yeah the just the pacing and the the combat everything still felt inventive and yeah it just good like a good game yeah. even not being able to understand it so even now yeah. 20 odd years later it's still for me anyway yeah. was holding up it's held up yeah that's good well you're gonna be on this oh i keep saying deserted island i keep thinking desiring this but you you could be anywhere um so in this place you're gonna have all this time to play these games and i think you're my first guest really to choose games that coincidentally both suit your memories and your inspirations but also games that you can definitely spend a long time playing so i think you've been very smart yeah i think (laughs) <laughs> well that's it's not true with all of them i think you know pro- probably if you just want to have you know if you don't care too much about the the nostalgia factor then it's probably best just to pick all of your games that have incredible replay value which are going things like you know strategy games yeah. or um i guess if you're allowed an internet connection to play against other people then competitive games as well but um mm, I, but yeah, I think i would deny that i think like radiant silver gun i think there's enough to keep and tetris there's enough going i think with radiant silver gun and with tetris to to keep you going um probably for for most of your life um but probably some of these more story-based games you're only going to play once or twice or on special occasions but i could definitely see myself putting on uh you know chrono trigger or xeno gears and just letting the soundtrack play uh, which would probably be quite soothing oh that's a really good idea actually i hadn't really thought of that <laughs> like taking games for factors other than playing games 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's an interesting idea for sure. Hmm. <laughs> that's good. That's clever. That's very clever. Now, <laughs> now I would have to reevaluate what I thought. I, I've thought many times about what I would choose if I was going. Yeah, there. I have to speak yeah. to quite a few people now about what games they would have and why. And I'm like, oh yeah, there's this game and then there's this game and. <laughs> Oh, it's very difficult. I remember when we yeah. spoke um, emailing and uh, <laughs> I asked you for the eight games and you came back and you were like, good Lord, that was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm still not convinced I picked the right ones, but um, I at least like I picked ones, I guess, that I, I have stories for at least. Yeah, so. you had wonderful stories behind yeah. each one and they were extremely interesting and very much the reason why i started this podcast was to hear from people like yourself who have these incredible stories about video games and the video game industry and to hear your because i know a lot about americans importing japanese games and it was very easy for them to import it because of connections between military bases and all that kind of thing so right. very easy for them yeah. to ship them over um but in britain i don't remember there being like this import scene or it was very difficult to get hold of yeah. these games for sure yeah it was i think the first game that that loads of people imported was street fighter 2 that's the one i remember hearing about yeah people paying large sums of money to, to import that um and i think like another kid at my school had an import version of that game so okay. um but yeah Your it school was really cool yeah. <laughs> yeah, like one guy playing Tetris, you had another guy playing Street Fighter Two. You had Chrono Trigger. God, that was a really cool. Oh, I was a bit older when I came to Chrono Trigger. Oh, okay, but, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Okay, so the, usually the last question that I ask um, yeah. is, if you could only have one console, forgetting the eight games, you can have the eight games, but they're the only game okay. you can play on said console. If there yep. was one console where, including the back ca back catalog of games on that system, and you were yep. able to basically pull any off a shelf, what console yeah. would you choose? Ah, uh, like I knew the second you started asking that, um, it would be the Dreamcast. The Dreamcast. So, uh, yeah, it would be. Yeah, wow. definitely. Um, it just, I think, for like game for game, it it has the best hit ratio probably of any system. Okay. Um, Even and... though the back catalogue is small and you're on a deserted island. Yeah, I'm fine with that because it's okay. uh, it's the quality and the the variety, and also there's a lot of you know fantastic arcadey stuff there. Um, yeah, like uh, you've got Res, obviously, yeah. Crazy Taxi, Sega Rally, um, Ready to Rumble Sam Boxing, Samadhi Amigo, uh, uh, Rival Schools 2, Ikaruga, um, Cool Cool Tune, I really like that SNK music game. And yeah. then if you fancy something a bit different, Tokyo Bus Guide is on there. Um, Bangayo, that treasure game, that's uh, that they did a Dreamcast version of that, so... Yeah, I'd be I'd be very happy with the Dreamcast. Oh wow, fantastic! That's really cool. Well, we're probably going to have to go. Although I could speak to you all day about your game, Simon. Uh, internet has not been kind to us this evening. Although I don't think it's going to change the quality of the stories you've told me in any way, shape, or form. So uh, I not. really want to thank you for coming on. You are easily one of my most inspirations for the video game oh, industry man, and i've kind. i've been reading your content for a long time i absolutely adore talking about video games so i had getting to speak to someone who i have read his thoughts of 
for a very long time and not been able to answer back to you. <laughs> so this is uh, this is awesome for me. So and it, you are great. Thank you uh, for inviting me on. No problem. Cool. We will do this again in maybe twenty five years time, and we'll see how Chrono Trigger holds up, and we'll we'll yeah. see how <laughs> how Smash Court Tennis is if that's any good <laughs> and then games like that. So I really want to thank you for coming on. Your stories are fantastic. And I've really enjoyed this episode and it's been hilarious. The internet dropping out as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Is cool. there anything? Thank you, man. Yeah, no problem. Absolutely. It's been wonderful. I'm so glad you came on. Is there anything you'd like to say uh, or promote or is there anything you've written recently that you want people to read? Well, I, uh... I mean, you said right at the start, I had a book out fairly recently. Yes. Um, it's out in the UK and you can get it in other countries via Amazon. It's called Death by Video Game. Um, there's an American edition. It's coming out later this year. So if you're in the States, look out for that. It's the same title, Death by Video Game. The publisher is Melville House. Yeah. Uh, but if you have like, oh, you can get it easy enough. And if anyone, I guess, is interested in reading some of the things I've written, my website's simonparkin.com yeah if you go to simon's website you definitely should go because it has uh, a list of all the articles he's ever written and everything it's and you can just click on things and they go straight to the article it's awesome there's so many things there stuff about ono stuff about kojima stuff about miyamoto it's fantastic cool thanks very much man no i'm gonna go now and i'm gonna read a death by video game because that really intrigues <laughs> me so i'm gonna okay. try and, i'm gonna try and find that on amazon and i'm gonna gonna download it for my ipad and read that that's awesome. Nice. If you enjoy <laughs> it, uh, leave a review on there because. Um, oh, I will. I will. That helps. So I'm told. So. Yeah, supposedly. Yeah, so you. actually, speaking of reviews, if you are listening to this on iTunes and you have enjoyed it, please leave a review because that would be so good. That would be great for me. Um, if you're listening on, uh, to on uh, SoundCloud, please like it and all that kind of thing. I hate asking for things like that, but it does, as Simon says, support <laughs> numbers and visual aids on a social media screen seem to turn into the promotion so <laughs> so please do that so this has been the fourth episode of final games uh, i'd like to thank you for listening uh, you can follow me on twitter at liam bme you can also follow the show at final games show um, please join us next time please subscribe on itunes thank you for listening and we'll see you next time goodbye I feel